Truth and Soul Incorporated. The New Zealand Advertising Podcast. Thank you very much, Luigi from Thames. Hello. Now, in this, the sixth podcast from Truth and Soul Incorporated, already the number one podcast in New Zealand, generally recorded on a Friday morning. Uh, so, thank you to everyone for listening. And in this episode, we talk to celebrated New Zealand artist Dick Frizzell. As well as being one of New Zealand's most famous painters, you'll hopefully be interested to learn that Dick is also an ex-ad man. So we talk about his experiences in the advertising world and how what he learnt there helped set him up for a career in art. We also have, interestingly, hopefully, uh, sections on cultural appropriation, uh, exploiting child labour to make ads, and how to sell sausages made from fruit. I also lectured Dick on punctuation. I'm sure he enjoyed that. Um, and Dick also answers questions sent in by podcast listeners, both of them. So listen in to discover the backstory behind his most famous works. And then also please stay listening at the end as there is a bonus section recorded after I pretended to turn the mic off. And uh, so we got Dick at um, Unclothed. No? Anyway, uh, please subscribe to hear new episodes when they come out uh, and send any favourable comments or questions to paul at truthandsoul.co.nz. Uh, any complaints, send to Shane at Franklin Road. Thank you. Truth and Soul. Okay, uh, today on uh, Truth and Soul Incorporated, we have a guest who had a wonderful career in advertising and then threw it all away to waste the rest of his life <laughs> as an artist. Um, so yeah, I, a lot of you might not know uh, because you, you, you probably know Dick Frizzell as an artist, but he was actually originally. Um, in, not originally. Okay, not originally. We'll come to that. <laughs> but he has worked at some uh, some time in his life in advertising and he has two two uh, troublesome sons who are kind of on the periphery. Uh, Josh, who is an advertising commercials director and television and film director. Drama, yeah, yeah. What was that drama we just did? Fire? A Blaze. A Blaze, yeah, yeah on uh, TVNZ. Uh, and Otis, who, um, as well as um, being a, a founding partner in the Lucky Taco, uh, New Zealand's premier uh, taco truck, uh, with his wife Sarah, is an artist and has, has kind of dabbled in the commercial area too. Yeah, graphic designer. Yeah, uh, graphic designer. So, Dick, where did it all go wrong? No, where did it? <laughs> where did it start? Well, I I went I went to art school. I started. My always the ambition was to be an artist. Always, even from uh, high school or intermediate, somehow. And back in Hastings in nineteen fifty. Two or something. So, so how did you... Hastings 1952, how did you go, I want to be an artist? Uh, I saw a film about an artist. It was um, based on... Uh, it was a film called The Horse's Mouth, based on a book by Gully Jimson about this mad bohemian artist that uh, starring Alec Guinness... Yeah. ..who lived on the Thames in an old barge. So Alec Guinness. Yeah. yeah. Well, he wasn't then, I don't yeah, think. Yeah, no, probably but not. The, and he lived on this old barge and, and painted these mad paintings of... You know, all these naked women in the bath with big gummy blobs of paint and stuff. And um, I just saw that I saw it in the cinema in Hastings with my mates from high school. They all hated it. But I just fell in love. I thought, that's me. That's me on that barge. 
extraordinary. Know, so that yeah. what, 15, 16? I was, I would have been, yeah, 14, 15, yeah. To decide, because presumably yeah. most of your mates wanted to be all blacks. Oh, and farmers and that a lot, because it was Hastings, a rural service centre. Yeah. But I, I was always a boy who drew. I was the guy who always drew, you know, if you wanted something drawn in your school book or whatever, you came and got me to do it. Yeah. I mean, kids used to queue around the room just to get me to draw Mickey Mouse on the cover of their school books and things like that. So where did, where did that that knack come from? You just well, my mother went to art school, yeah. and she was my mother was definitely arty, even though she had no idea what art was. She she was mad on project, women's weekly projects and things like that, and she loved the grid. She taught me all about the grid, which I'm still a de- devotee of. Hmm. And uh, she used to copy Goldie portraits out of old, out of magazines and yeah. paint them on wooden bowls, and Dad would get them French polished down at the freezing works. And and um, I suppose having that, and the fact that I I had this drawing ability. I mean, drawing ability is just like a singing voice. You know what I mean? You've either you've got you, it, or you, you just got it, or you haven't. Yeah. And um, and I just and I knew it was an unusual ability because uh, when the school teacher asked me to draw on the blackboard for Parents' Day or whatever. I'd be drawing Santa Claus or something, and I'd be thinking, why doesn't the teacher? Because the teacher's meant to be yeah. omnipotent, you know. Yeah. And I'm drawing this, thinking, well, I've got something. I can do something the teacher can't do, you know. So, I'm, I was thinking, I wasn't thinking, how could I monetize this at, the, at that point yet. in time <laughs> yet? <laughs> but I was definitely thinking it was kind of uninteresting that I had this point of difference over everybody else in the class, in the school, you know. Yeah, I, it was amazing in this tiny primary school. I always got first prize in art. Everyone just sat back and let me walk up and get this first prize in art. No one even thought I, about I, it. I came bottom in art and, and bottom in music, school, <laughs> which is, uh, and also I was, yeah. I was very bad at, at um, English at school. Yeah, yeah turn, turn it. Well, I came. Bo- I still came bottom of the class. Oh, well, generally because you just did art. I just your... did art. I was quite good at English, but um, they used to stream. The classes back then, there was three professional one and three professional two. And I came the bottom of three professional one. So next year, they put me in four professional two and I came top. So it's like perfect streaming. Yeah. You know, weird. Anyway. So, so I obviously went to art school. So, yeah, after so after school, you went to art school yeah. in, in where? Canterbury. Canterbury. Because my, my, that's where my mother had was brought up. She thought for some reason at Canterbury I'd be safer in Canterbury than Auckland. Safer you know? from what? Oh, uh, Being led astray. Yeah, led astray by beatnik behaviour, you know. And all the rest Drinking coffee and... <laughs> yeah. There was no such thing. Oh, there was coffee. Mm. Yeah, we had a Dutch coffee bar in Hastings that served espresso coffee back in 1953. Weird. So after seeing the Gully Jimson yeah. movie we all went and had a coffee at the at the... The Windmill Cafe, yeah. Okay, so down down to uh, Christchurch, down to Christchurch and art school. Which art school was amazing. It was after being the the only freak in town, like the only freak in the village. Yeah, I went to art school, and of course, I met on that first day all these other kids were, who were also the only freak in their village. Yeah, and there we were in one room with our you know duffel coats and black stockings and everything else, and smoking. Uh, yeah, yeah, we had. I smoked a pipe. I'd, I'd, a pipe. I, I yeah. got a big Sherlock Holmes pipe that yeah. I used to smoke, and with my duffel coat. You know, a pipe, duffel coat, uh, desert boots, all that sort of. I know stuff. the look. It yeah. will come back. It yeah. will come back. Yeah. <laughs> it's coming back. Uh, yeah, I remember as a as a kid, I went to a to a posh, no, not posh, a grammar school, which was a kind of 
you know, streaming school. And once we went to a party at the at the art school in Epsom, and it, 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 my eyes hey. to a whole new world. Because unfortunately, I had no <laughs> nothing no <to> ability. <laughs> I, I, I well, you didn't have. You could pretend to be a poet or something. Well, there was people walking around wearing white coats with um, bricks on pieces of string, uh, and I, I've got no idea why. But I thought. Yeah, oh yeah, that's good. <laughs> um, it's never helped me since. So after art school, yeah, you thought right well, I got, advertising. Well, I got married at art school and we had a little baby, so I had to get responsible to a certain degree, and I started uh, do freelance illustration for children's TV shows and things like that because everything was totally analog. Yeah, you know, and you, as the as the person narrated the story on the television, I would draw the picture and, uh, and all that, and. Um, and then I, we moved to Auckland because everybody did. And I just asked around, and this, this advertising seemed to be a great way to make a quid. Mm. And, um, and I went to a lot of advertising agencies. With I made up a portfolio, completely constructed a portfolio of made-up things like ice cream packets, and which I just invented because no one had asked me to do them. So I had to like mm. pretend I'd been commissioned. And I went around all these advertising. I made appointments for all these art directors. And there was, because of the high quotient of cartoon work in this portfolio, they directed me to this animation studio in Auckland. And I went there and he, I had to work a month for nothing to prove that I some sort of commitment. And then I worked for this animation studio for three years. And because it was a production house, all the agencies came to us to get their animation done, yeah. you know, for the tip-top ice creams or whatever. So I got to know all the, everybody in the business you know, going on the piss with him and everything yeah. else. And when I had a big fallout with the, because this guy imported this American who I had a violent disagreement with, over the shape of eyes, actually. Yeah. I, I didn't agree That's with the... for you. I hated the Disney Oval and I wanted the Heinz Eidelman Yellow Submarine Circle. Yeah. And anyway, I walked out and then I went up to, I went round to see some of my mates up in Dobbs Wiggins and this guy, Keith Blight. Even though I was wasn't young, you know, it was two people just got young people from the polytechs to go into the studio and I, they all agreed I was a bit past it, even though I was only 27 or something, mm. and uh, if that. But this guy put me in the studio as a set rubber and stuff, you know what I mean? So, uh, so yeah. the, the animation that you were doing was cell animation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, uh, Hand-painted and so hand-drawn. It, it's on uh, clear acetate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. we'll draw on paper. With that special uh, table with a light box on it, you know, so you yeah. can, and you flip the. He taught. I. I, I mean, I, the only animation is the only thing I've actually ever learned. Yeah. You know, from scratch, technically, and I, was, I was pretty. I still am good at it. I, hence, Mickey to Ticky and all that. You know, yeah. that's where it comes from. And um, this guy put me in the studio doing all this technical layouts and stuff, and I just picked it up really quickly. And then I got a job as a visualizer and. And then Bob Harvey, bless him. Yeah. But because of the small social social scene, you soon knew who was hip. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I used to hang out with the. Um, well, you just obviously hung out with the, the smart bastards, you know. And I got, Bob Harvey asked me to join his uh, thing, which was what in those days they used to call them hot shops, tiny little agencies with incredible mobility. Yeah. Where all the big agencies like Ing- Jangles, Wright, and I can't, Dobbs Wiggins, they were, there were so many suits and layers of yeah. responsibility that Bob, if Bob got wind of an account 
going soft, you know, going on the move, we'd just stay up all night and we'd do a whole, we could do a whole presentation. We did it for uh, Lion Breweries once. And then Bob would go out there. So he'd be out there knocking on the door of the brewery before Jay Ingalls Wright had even put their shoes on, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. It was amazing. And he would just talk them into it because that's what he was like. And then um, and I just got totally into that and I working with Bob was amazing because there was no – there was no layers, no hierarchy, except for Bob, obviously. He was the boss. Bob and, he, and everyone else. It was Bob and everyone else. And he was so charismatic and uh, such a show-off. You know, once he, he had some clients in his office, there were no chairs in his office. We all had to stand up. And um, even Bob didn't have a chair, just a desk. And once he was talking to these clients and I was in there and the phone rang and he shouted, Barbara, don't let that phone ring. Anyway, it rang again. So he picked up these scissors that were on his and he cut the cord of the phone and threw it out the window, threw yeah. the handset out the window in front of these clients. It was fantastic. You know. So he was he was like the original New Zealand madman. Yes, he hundred percent was. I mean there were there were a couple of others around town that picked up on it. That Colenzo started like that small there was a guy, Al Raponi, who was we used to get into fights and drunk in the Leopard Tavern and stuff because... Where was the Leopard Tavern? It was down by um, Victoria Park, sort of at the back there, in Sale Street. The right, okay. Yeah. yeah. And we used to go down there for these huge... Once Bob came down about three in the afternoon, we were still down there boozing and he fired us. <laughs> he fired us all. But the whole agency? <laughs> yeah, all, yeah, all the creatives were down there all pissed. And he, but, of course, the next, we all went back on Monday and it was just business as usual. Uh, and he'd forgotten about it by then. Well, what was he going to do? <laughs> so did, did you, I just a, apart it. from, presumably, yeah. so the budgets were minute for TV in uh, those days? Well, there, there wasn't a lot of TV. Um, okay, how many chat Was it one channel? Yes. Yeah. In fact, we we did all the advertising for the launch of the second channel, as I remember it. Yeah. Um, bit of animation. A rainbow coming out of the. This has been the rainbow in general usage. wasn't yeah. It wasn't specific. Um, there it was a lot of pre, a lot of billboards, a lot of newspaper, a lot of a lot of point of sale. This sort of stuff. Yeah. I bought this. That's Josh. Uh, oh used, my god. Okay. Yeah, so we used um, to we used to use our children shamelessly in all these things. We'll, we'll see if if we have the technology to put this on the website, but it's a picture of a, a young Josh Frizzell, fairly androgynous-looking. <laughs> well, that's the famous haircut. Uh, with a pudding bell haircut. Bite the one you love. Yeah. Peach sausages, big <laughs> on taste, big on value. And I think there's an issue with the typography there, I have to say. Shouldn't there be a gap between the comma and the... Oh, uh, being, an art, uh, being an art director, you wouldn't care about the, no, the type. No, I will. Billy Apple would have, but I didn't yeah. really care. I wouldn't have even looked at it, to be honest. I mean, Bob said a funny thing to me the other day, because I still see him a lot you know, on projects, and I was talking about the excitement of um, those days, you know what I mean, when I was an ad man and all the mm. rest of it. And Because uh, I felt like an ad man. I mean, I drank like an ad man. Mm. And, uh, and Bob said to me, no, Dick, he said, you, you were always just a visitor. And I thought, really? yeah, I was always a slightly weird arty, not really in that space. I was like an artist kind of doing it, pretending to do it or something. And yet I didn't, I mean, I certainly didn't do it cynically or half pie. I mean, I went the full 100 miles an hour at it, you know, and I was good at it. 
But with a family yeah. and, and yeah, well, uh, young yeah, kids. You, yeah, 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 you up, in, up in Torbay. So there was – and I didn't um, – to be honest, yeah, all those things like the trips to Sydney and, you know, to proof uh, uh, working rushes on movies, I would let Grant Marshall or, you know, the other creative have all that. Mm. I was just happy to go back – come into work and go home again. So I was um, – I didn't, like, live it. Totally, yeah. It's an interesting comment. I mean, I thought I was living it totally. It felt like it. Holy crap! So, uh, how long were you were you in the industry? Uh, about seven years. I was there, and the inter- there was an interesting. Like, I would go. To, we'd have a Christmas party, and Jude would get hold of Bob and say, "You're not paying Dick enough. Why? You know, mm. Grant's getting all this money." And Bob would say, "Well, he, you know, he seems to be happy enough on what I'm paying him. You know, mm. so it's." Um, You'd have to leave. I would leave. I'd walk out and I'd go and over to Carlton Carruthers, you see, and work for them and then go around and they'd pay me more to go there and then I'd go to another agency, Muir and Associates, and they'd pay me a bit more and then Bob would get me back and pay me a bit more. So I had to, the only yeah. way I could get my salary up was this weird spiral, sort of hop around town and come back in again on a, on a higher level. It was, I remember that. That was weird. And, and what is Bob doing now? Oh, he's heaps. He's yeah. ri- he's write- He's always writing s- some mad book about, you know, something. Yeah. And um, I just we just had dinner with him in New York. Funnily enough, of all, yeah. it was a coincidence. He's writing a book about the poet Walt Whitman. Huh. Uh, yeah, <laughs> go figure. Uh, and he's consults a hell of a lot. He consulted with my sister, you know, the mayor of Rotorua over the waterfront development. Yeah, sorry, I d- I d- in mentioning the Frizzell family, I didn't mention uh, that um, Dick, Dick's sister is mayor of uh, Rotorua. Rotorua. But uh, Steve? Steve Chadwick, yeah. Steve Chadwick, yeah. Very proud of her. Just won a third term. So you you finally got out of advertising after seven years, which is a... Which yeah, is a- well, I, I left... I was starting to get... Um, I was starting to have interesting art ideas because I hung out with the art crowd. I went to all the openings and, yeah. you know, I suppose that was the difference in a way that half my... Were you going you home know, painting at the weekend? No, no, no. I never had anything to say. I didn't... I kind of knew that an artist's job was to offer an opinion, you know, and it was more than just painting a picture and hmm. I knew that much. But I had no idea. I didn't know what I, I... I had nothing to say, really. I didn't know. Well, I did, but I didn't... I hadn't examined them. I didn't know quite what they were. Or I didn't trust my opinions enough. And then it slowly sort of coalesced and I started thinking, having ideas that I thought were, were contemporary, you know, contributions to the conversation, so to speak. And I'd lie in bed thinking of it and then I thought, well, I, then I have to go into work. And one day I was in the uh, agency and this is, I'm starting to get this... You know, irritated with the job I had, this advertising business, and was starting to wear off, funnily enough, after that period of time. And um, this Bob Harvey sidekick came into my office in this open plan sort of thing and said, Dick, because we had the Yates gardening account, he said, OK, Dick, you know, you know this is the, the exec coming in. OK, Dick, we, got, uh, we have to come up with a new idea for uh, um, Yates slug pellets. Blitz and mm. slug pellets. Mm. And I thought, oh, fuck. My heart sank. I just thought, oh, no. This was like the nadir, you know. And I, ste- I was staring out into the car park, my fabulous view of the car park, and I, I just I nearly cried. I thought, I've got to get out of here. And so I went in to, I went in to see. Took me, no, I went home. 
I kept doing it. I did the slug pellets and and I said to Judith, I've got to I've got to leave and I said, I'm not quite sure what we'll do. And I, I went in to uh, see Ross Carpenter because Bob was away on one of his trips. And I said to Ross, listen, I've got, I think the time, I've got to get out here, but I'll stay and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll stay as long as you need me here till we find someone else. And mm. I feel like I'm letting the team down a bit and it's been a great run. And Ross looked up at, from his desk, kept his head down. He was the bad cop of the two. And he looked, and he looked up at me and he said, you can fuck off now if you like, just like that. I went, oh, mm. I suddenly realised I wasn't indispensable. And then he said, and we'll take your holiday pay off you in lieu of that motorbike you condescend to bike for you because we had the Suzuki account. You, you had a company motorbike? Yeah, I had a company motorbike. Which bike was it? A Suzuki 250 GT250. Uh, dirt track thing, yeah. Oh, dirt, dirt bike. You know, with high. Yeah. And uh, used to come in from Torbay on it, perched up. Yeah. And um, so I went home and Jude said, how did it go? I said, oh, well, I'm, d- I'm not working there anymore. And I said, I've got no holiday pay. We've got, no- we've got nothing. So I got a job down at the um, vegetable markets on the waterfront, unloading cabbages from the you know Chinese market gardeners and stuff yeah. at two in the morning. Yeah. So that kept us in vegetables and paid the bills. And then I started picking up freelance work. You know, just slowly picked down. So it took three months for the, then. It took three months for the checks to come in from the freelance work. Right. And then I got an I got a um, animation job. So it was the, it was the slug pellets uh, because that broke my broke my heart because <laughs> uh, I put on on Facebook because because um, here at Truth and Soul Incorporated we're you know all over social media. I put I put on Facebook for some questions that you might have seen, and I've got some. I'll come, come oh, to okay. them later. But yeah. but one of them I think it, I think it was Josh asked, yeah, um, your son through the wide reach. Reaching Facebook said, uh, "Yeah, ask about the slug pellets." So, <laughs> so that that was slug pellets were the the catalyst for you to go. I'm out, I'm out of here. Yeah. And I'd also done an advertising job, an animation job at my drawing board uh, for this little roller door campaign. And I had a little yellow Volkswagen talking to the camera, saying yeah. how much he loved his roller door and it kept him safe and dry and all that stuff. And he, and he winked and nodded and smiled and his doors popped open and shut and everything else. And I did it with felt pens on the transparent uh, z- yeah. bond paper, you know, on my drawing board. And then Bob charged it out like at eight grand and I got my weekly wage and I thought, surely mm. a bonus would have been appropriate there. Yeah. You know, and... Uh, and Bob said, "Well, that, you're, that's your job. You're just doing what you meant. You know, it's your job. I mean, why?" Eh. And I said to Jude, "Jesus Christ, I could have done that at home." And and then after I left, I somehow got approached to do this tip top ad for Eskimo pies. Yeah. Uh, where, where this little the Mrs. Eskimo gets a craving in the in the night and does she? Yes, for an Eskimo pie. Ah, right. Yeah, for an Inuit pie and. Um, and the husband gets out of bed and puts his muck like and everything on and goes off to get this pie. But, of course, the p- night is six months long. When he comes back, the baby's like two months old or something. Yeah. It's quite a cute story. Yeah. But I animated the whole thing at home and did it all the cells and painted and I had the young babysitter came in and helped colour them in. And, and I made, I built it out at like 12 grand or something astonishing. Yeah. So uh, June and I went for this big holiday in Australia and it was, I thought, whoa, this is good, you know. So I would... Do the commercial art during the day and then paint at night because I didn't, you know, I was at home. I didn't have to do all this commuting and yeah. And some if the if the commercial art went a bit flat, I'd paint during the day. Yeah. 
as long as the babies were, in, you know, in the way. Uh, and, you, and you kept the Suzuki. No, they took. They, I had to hand it. I hand. I handed it back in, even though he took all that money off it. I was so dazed by the by the whole thing. I just said yes, 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 yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I flogged as much equipment as I could, all my compass sets and all that belt pens and stuff. And <laughs> so, uh, much. have you carried on doing any any animation for yourself? Have you done any? Uh, n- well, apart from the Eskimo pie, I mean, there are little little dits and. I mean, animation often pops up in my life, like like the Mickey to Tiki morph, yes. you know, and things like that, and um, and other similar things I've done. It's um, and for a while there. When um, computer animation first appeared, the animators were quite good at animating, but no one knew they, no one knew how to draw. No one knew how to do the. So I yeah. would, I remember Josh and uh, Reston Griffiths. Quite a few people approached me to do the original modelling for the for the animation. Right. So I would do that little ever ready battery, front view, side view, top view, and this, and I'd do all the poses. And then the then the computer animator would feed it in and do the make it work, colour it in and that you know. So I did. So I was for a long time for well a couple of years. I was a sort of computer animator's pencil, you know, that I did the sort of breakdown of it. Yeah, yeah and then then they went off and did the, yeah, the boring yeah. bit. Yeah, well they just the, well the, to them it was the, the nerdy bit, you know, yeah. that they love doing. Yeah, all the laborious um, sort of highlighting and. Yeah, it was so, interesting. Nowadays, I they, they seem to have figured out that they need to employ people who know how to draw in the first place. I don't know. Yes, yeah. that, that, I guess it's like an advertising. Um, it, as an art director, yeah, it's always helpful if you can draw. You don't. Yeah, have to be tell able me to about it. it. Well, Grant and I were both. Grant was very was very handy. I mean, I can't imagine how you could be an art director and not visualize in front of the client. On a bit of paper while you're talking. I mean, it would be a s- slow way to convince anyone if you couldn't. I've, ne- I've never seen anyone do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, we would we'll we have would have, have for pitches. We would have layout pads and and kind of articulate what we were saying in front of the client. You know, it's um, incredibly successful because you know, I mean, visualization is ninety percent of the game, isn't it? You know, um, really. I mean, you can eloquent. You can be eloquent about it, in, in terms with your metaphors and everything else and similes, but nothing like a bit of p- paper. It, it, yeah. You know, what I think it depends on on people. Some people you yeah. you can uh, you, you, you can explain an an idea like three words, and they go, "Ah, oh, right, I got it." Other okay. other people, you have to show the yeah the true. visual I, to. Yes, if, yeah, I can imagine that. You know, a smart client who's who's. I mean, Bob was very. Bob could do it. I mean, we we weren't always at the pitches, hmm. uh, unless it was a tricky one. Yeah. So, at what stage did you you're you're rusting around doing um, freelance during the day and at night you're painting? Yeah. And at what what stage did someone go? Oh, I like that picture. I'm going to give you some money. for Well, that. we're all the art scene was very very tight, and we all knew each other, and the uh, the, the people and the. The de- the deal gallery dealers managers mm. we all knew each other and they knew I was up to something, and I would say I'm really I think I'm really onto something here and um, and I one day Rodney Kirk Smith from he ca- actually came out to the house to have a look at what I was up to was this Torbay still yeah, yeah 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 and he 
he could he, he was certainly taken with it. He said, I don't think you're quite ready yet. Uh, and I, I remember selling. I said, I'm really I'm I'm onto it. I, all I, I need it, but I said an arts if I can get an arts council grant, I won't. I can then I can paint all day and not do the advertising. Yeah. And they said, Will you write a reference for me? And I remember Rodney said, Oh, well, I don't think you're ready. And I said, Yeah, but I'm. I said, it's like Catch-22. If, if I get the grant, yeah. I'll be able to prove that I'm ready. And he said, no, you're meant to prove yourself ready and then get the grant. <laughs> and I, uh, he said, that's, that's how it works. And I said, but how, um, how do I prove my commitment if I don't get the money to prove my commitment? And Rodney said, Dick, that's the commitment. Don't you get it? Uh. And I went, oh, okay. <laughs> Very good. So you, you, re, you had to double down on, that, on the night shift, really. So that, that's what you did. You went. Uh, yeah. Stop doing the freelance. I'll do the art. No, I kept. No, I had to keep doing it. The school journal illustrations. I mean, I still had to pay the bills. You know, the yeah. clutch would go in the Hillman, the stupid mm. Hillman, and the, the hot water cylinder would blow. I mean, there's always money needed, and and I was never going to. I couldn't be like Tony, Fon, you know, like Phil Claremont or one of those guys. I, I wasn't going to make the kids run around in some sort of hippie house of <laughs> rags yeah. while I expressed myself. Um, I've never been like that. Um, so I just, yeah, I doubled so did you down. Get that, you know. Did you get that grant in the end? No, well, I did in the end, but after I'd made the prove the commitment. Yeah. Yeah, and I did. I finally got, I, uh, and then I'd do, I'd like to do one painting, I think this is it, and then I'd do another one, I'd do three, because I thought, then I'd get up to painting number six, and I think, oh, I'm on a roll now, I've just, I've got, I'm going to have a show. Then I'd get to painting number six, and, and I'd go, Painting number one would look like shit, so I'd have to go back and start on that again. And mm. this, kept, this kept on going for a while until all of a sudden painting number seven happened, you know, and I got, ah, I knew what I was doing there, and I was ta doing this neo sort of pop expressionist stuff with commercial images like Batman comics. And and so this, the Dick Frizzell thing started coming out, you know, yeah. which then I recognised as me, and I, then I knew how to exploit it. And then I cottoned on to that fish label thing. Yeah. Uh, where all – and the, the funnily enough, what, the day I realised that what I was doing was applying everything I'd learnt in my advertising experience and putting it into an art context. Now, no one in town but me was ever going to do that because I was the only one who'd been, in, had been there and learnt how to – maximise on an image, how to present, you know what I mean? How to tell a story with the um, with the maximum sort of pose or whatever the expression well, is. Well, also, I guess you know. other artists, yeah, they wouldn't have had that experience and they, no. they go, right, I need, you know, I want to paint yeah. wonderful people or Well, don't forget, back in, the, back in those days too, commercial art was bad and fine art was good. Yeah. And if you were a fine artist, do, you know, Moonlighting with a bit of commercial art, you had to keep it very quiet because it would be a total threat to your intellectual credibility. You know, if you were selling out, doing yeah. commercial art, you know. But I was a, I mean, I was so part of it that instead of instead of pretending I hadn't done it, I took it on board and made it a bit, made it an issue. And when I had an exhibition, my first exhibition, I put posters around town and we printed T-shirts. I told all my DJ mates on how Racky to yeah. talk about it in their breakfast shows and. And I made it, and I went deliberately full, hundred percent crass on yes. it, yeah. right? As a, as a, that was my opinion. That was the first thing I figured out that I could be different by shooting, taking the piss out of all the high and mighty, I, you know, 
snobberies. I, I think yeah. there's a yeah. there's a wonderful lesson there, you know, in terms of in terms of being distinctive and and approaching yeah. the the promotion of an art show the same way that you would promote a new beer. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. That was my point. Yeah, it was all, and that was art in itself. Yeah, and it was deliberately disruptive. The idea was to get in there and disrupt. I mean, that's how things move forward. You know what yes. I mean? Cubism was disruptive and so on and yes. so forth. And I, and I, I mean, it sounds, talking about it sounds almost as if I'm making too much of it, but it was a, it was a fact that I did. That, and then, of course, all my, Bob Harvey and all my advertising contacts came to my openings and they loved this stuff and they bought it. I mean, I had yeah. sell-out shows of this stuff, you know. It was amazing. No one had sell-out shows. You know, I, I think it, it's really important with or, or, or almost anything it, that we do, particularly in New Zealand. People people want things that they have a direct personal connection with. Well, that's true. And if they go, oh, yeah. I know, um, uh, I know Dick. I've worked with Dick. Uh, I've, oh yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, they understood my personality. Yeah. And they also understood they could they could see Bob could see what was going on. Um, this this. The song and dance I was doing of this, you know, of the naughty ad man and the art racket, was just a. It was a performance, but it was also very real. It was it was hot stuff. It was very exciting. So when yeah. when you paint, so when when you're 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 creating a picture with a message. Yeah, a message. Yeah. Um, and in in art, the nature of it is you you, you have a, an exhibition, you have a, gala, a, a exhibition in a gallery, and people come along and and drink warm white wine <coughs> and and, uh, and chat with their friends, and mm. they go and buy it, and then you never see the picture again. Well, you just go and paint another one, don't you? I and mean, that's the point, you know. And you do keep a few, and you do. I mean, I keep seeing them all the time. They pop up and you know publications and yeah. It's this this. I mean, my my. I'm 76 and I'm still out there, you know what I mean? Yes. So the I'm um, cultural fodder yeah. is what I've become, weirdly enough. Well, I have a question now for our, th- for our three listeners, <laughs> which, which is Josh, Otis <laughs> and Judy. Um, no, because uh, I remember in your, in, in your book, I, I've got a batch at a place called Waikari Bay up on the Tawhanui Peninsula, yeah. and you painted Waikari Bay I did. back in the day. Yeah. And, I, and there's a picture in the book of you standing in front of the picture, uh, but you don't right. know where it is. I don't know where the painting is, no. Uh, and I, I'd, love to, I'd love to have a look at it. So if anyone out there happens to know where, ah. where Dick's painting of Waikari Bay is, it'll be... Um... Well, they're all somewhere, that's for sure. It's just funny when you think about it. They, they don't come up... I, I find it quite gratifying that you don't see them at auction very often. People do live with they them. keep them, yeah. Hang on with them. They're not, ob- they're not your obvious stocks and shears type stuff, you know. And, and tell me, when you're, so you, you, when you paint, do you do it to a, a rigid uh, time or, or uh, do you go, right, nine o'clock, I've got to be in the studio or do you just... Oh, no, no, I'm very, it's very strict about my working habits, you know. I go, I, I always get to the studio at nine o'clock and then there's about an hour of correspondence. Yeah, oh, that counts as painting, well, it's all part of it's, it's research, yeah. you know. Yeah. There's a lot of re- lot of that involved. I mean, sometimes the painting itself is the least of it. You know, there's the, a lot of travel involved, you know, especially with the landscapes. Um, and then there's a lot of 
work, design work I still do, you know, yeah. really good commercial jobs that I do. Um, I love I love the old, the, the, you know, the advertising conceptual stuff. You know, when the clients come to you and say, I've got this BMW and I want to sell it, it's like, it, isn't that great? And you think, well, how can we, like, sell this bloody car, you know? It's great. And I can, and when I was younger, I used to, fuck around with it for hours and, you know, and sort of try, every idea I had in the book I'd try and load on this bloody ad, whether it was mm. peanuts or whatever. And I've, real, I've got to the point now where I know whatever the – I can almost hear the answer in the question because it, it's all about listen, learning to listen, isn't it? When I was young, all I wanted to do was do the thing. I'd yeah. half listen to the client. The client yeah. was – you assume they were always stupid and you'd – and you had this idea in your head that you'd seen that, in the that, magazine. That's Dick's you know. view, not mine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. The, you know, you had this idea that you'd seen in a magazine and you couldn't wait for, for a chance to use this idea. So whatever job came up, whether it was Peanuts or Daimler's, you'd just kind of load this idea into this poor old vehicle. But now the, but you know that every every whether it's a glass or a couch, they all have different demands yes. in terms of their, how you're going to present them or sell them. And uh, and now I just cut to I, I cut straight to the chase. I can uh, you know, once upon a time we used, we used to pretend it took us a month to think of the idea to to justify the fee. But now I just I can give them the I can tell them I, I can give them the answer the next day. You know. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, well, that that that's the other thing I was going to talk about the time in the so I so I write. That's, you know, that, yeah. that, that's my thing. And sometimes I'll sit down to write and it's like wading through porridge. True. And, and other yeah. times, it uh, next thing you know, three hours have passed and you've written you know, 3,000 words and you don't, know, uh, you don't know where it came from. Do, yeah. do you find that as a... Yeah, well, I write a lot. I'm writing a book at the moment, you know. I, well, I've written it. I'm editing it, trying to get my commas, trying to get that the comma spaces sorted out, funnily it, enough. It, it, it's... Yeah. Uh, oh. I didn't even know that you were meant to like the comma followed the word and then there was a space. I used to just stick them in the middle somewhere. I can't. I've, do, I've, I've just creative directed <laughs> I know. your ad. That's your what ad I, from that's what I mean. Years ago. I, know, I think that's really funny because <laughs> I've only just learnt that uh, about a month ago. <laughs> it took me a while to pick up on it. You know. Um, <laughs> so you better, best let me have a look at your book. What's the book about? Is it? Is it? It's called Me According to the History of Art. So I've tried to explain myself through my. Uh, influences and loves and that, you know. So autobiographical? Yeah. Yes. And Not in a I was born in Hastings sort of way, but in a, uh, it's, it's, it's like the A to Z of me, you know, why, did I, why do I think like I do and how do these ideas form? Because I got fascinated. It started, as a, it started out to be a book on uh, my teaching techniques and my philosophy and all the rest of it. Then I got fascinated with why... Why why do we think like we think? How, what formed us, you know, apart from the the native talent stuff? I mean, all, what, the, the behavioural stuff, where did that come from, you know? So I went back to art school and looked at my formative years and how I learnt to trust my own opinions. Yes. And, how, and, my, and that my idea, my, my, what I perceived to be as totally banal ideas were actually quite original so did that yeah. come quite slowly to you the, very slowly to, yeah. The, to, yeah to trust it, your own ideas yeah it did i when i was younger i assumed because everyone 
more or less is the same, you know what I mean? Two eyes up here and a mouth and yeah. everything. I thought that the inside of people was similar. So it never occurred to me that my ideas would, could be different than anyone else's. It took me a long time to figure that out. Until I'd say something, I'd be people would be talking, I'd go, oh, I don't think that's right. And then and I think, uh-oh, you know, what, if I don't think that's right, what do I actually think is right? And then I thought, well, that's funny. What, what do I think and why do I think it? Yeah, 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 which, exactly. Which is, is a huge yeah. problem now in the world in that we we seem to be losing shades of grey. Shades, we seem to be losing shades. Yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah. Black yeah. and white. It's, yeah. it's completely right or it's completely wrong. That's right, and, yeah. And, and I've, always been, I've always been down the, sort of somewhere in the middle. I can see the right over here. I can see, I can see that the... The Tories have some good ideas and the Labour has some good ideas and Labour has some stupid ideas and Tories yeah. have quite a lot of stupid ideas. Yeah. And um, I'm a bit weighted. Uh, yeah. So I don't... And, of course, to be... I've always believed that to be a commentator, to, if you're as a writer or an artist, if you're going to be any use, you can't, st- you can't have this kind of rigid moral or hier- hierarchical thing of good and bad. You have to be able to look at all... as in the same, you know, just look at it as one body of evidence and, you know what I mean? So I don't, I mean, I I don't have this thing that nature's better than the city or anything like that. I mean, a lamppost going into the pavement is just as interesting to me as a tree growing out of the ground, you know. Yeah, I think, I think, well, I think we had this um, on another podcast podcast we're talking about what, what's better a fish or a rainbow uh, or, uh, <laughs> or a or a, a bus double-decker bus i mean you know it just depends on how the light's shining on it you know and, and what you yeah. want to do at that moment exactly. you, you want to eat whether yeah. you want to <laughs> feel good about life or, yeah. or get to work that's right i know this is exactly the point you know and you can't you can't pick up the 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 necessary zeitgeist if you're carrying a, a load of prejudice ideas in your head. Yeah. You know, a friend of mine used to call me a flexible bigot, which I thought was funny. That's that's a good good description. I think we'll have that for the podcast. Dick Frizzell, flexible Flexible bigot. bigot. That would be be a good title for your book, I think. (laughs) Well, it's actually called Me According to the History of Art. But my next book could be called that. (laughs) My next book's about creativity, actually, because I'm fascinated about the myths and everything that Follow creativity around, you know. Well, I I can imagine that would that would be of much use to to um, advertising types because creativity is something that is something that we struggle with day to day. Now the notions uh, of it, yeah. Uh, through um, your art, would you say that you have been deliberately provocative? No, not deliberately. I haven't sat at home thinking how can I be provocative. Yeah, it's all grown out of something I've seen that. Um, stirs me that I, th- like that whole ticky business, yeah. I didn't sit down and decide to be a, take the piss out of the ticky and, you know. Just just for our, our yeah. listeners in, in foreign climes, um, South Island, Australia, <laughs> the uh, Mickey, Mickey to Ticky is a, um, one of Dick's most famous pieces in which uh, Mickey Mouse is transformed through a kind of animation style on one side of the picture to uh, Tiki mm. um, on the other side, and it w- and it was almost uh, you could get sued by both sides. Yeah, uh, you know, get sued by the, uh, Disney because they're using Mickey Mouse, and get yeah. sued by uh, maybe Maori elements for having yes, tiki. sued by Disney and eaten alive by the other end. Yeah, the um, you no, know, there was a 
th- that came after the, the, that ticky show. But I just, I got very irritated by this, by the strange assumption or the, the bluff on behalf of um, Māori who had d- definitely had to resort to things like bluffing and that because they were quite powerless in any real sense. Yeah. And I respect that. But the, when they started this idea that the culture could only go one way, you know, that Ralph Hotary could paint like uh, Mark Rothko, but I wasn't allowed to paint like, um, well, I wasn't allowed to use Maori forms in my painting. Yeah. And I said, well, that just didn't strike me as healthy, you know. Um, it's just cultures evolve or die, you know what I mean? You can't ring fence a culture and say, yes. I like it like that. That's yeah. Thank you very much. And also the fact that all the, you know, they removed those plastic tickies from here in New Zealand, you wouldn't. Know about that, but and then I went on this big tiki tour around Ta- Rotorua, where my sister was involved, and I noticed that all the sign tiki, mo- the things like the tiki motel and all that, they'd all gone. All these crass images of tikis. And so, that, so was it, was there a big? Uh, I came to New Zealand in yeah. two thousand, so th- oh, presumably right. before yeah. this, there was a. Yeah. You've got to yeah. not do that. Uh, late eighties, yeah. early ni- late eighties, especially. It was. They had a point that it was. They saw their culture being cheapened and uh, murdered by the by this, um, you know, the popular interpretation of it. But and so they they went around all the Maori academics and that managed an incredible stunt uh, to get everything tidied up to, to these offensive images taken away. But the minute you do that, the you lose it's you lose the oxygen. It's like you know, like yeah. a compost heap generates a lot of steam. Well, that's yeah. if you take away the rubbish, the the top of the peak starts to wither and die. You know, just it's just you, you can't have the excellence without the shit. You know, yeah. it's as simple as that. And I, and I thought, well, this is this is a they're on a hiding to nothing with this. It's a great idea. So I weirdly decided to. Reinstate all the rubbish single-handedly. You know that was uh, what a noble yeah. effort. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, it was kind. Of, it was. I saw it as a. But I did see it like that. Really, a campaign. You know. Yeah. Well, I think that you. Yeah. That if um, I guess it's you know easy for me to talk as a as a middle-aged white bloke. Um, you know, European New Zealander. Um, but. It, with the culture, you don't want to, as you say, ring fence it and put it in a museum and go, that's it, exactly. don't touch it, it's never going to change. Yeah, that's it. Because, yeah. like Toreo, we're trying to get that more people to speak it, and if they speak it, there's get words are going to come into it oh, from absolutely. English. 100%. And that's what happens with, with living culture. City, that one is going to be. And my sister, this sister, my dear sister in Rotorua, she was married to this very smart Maori lawyer, yeah. barrister, who so we'd been rehearsing this particular argument for years at the dinner table. Yeah. With these huge table thumping rays about who actually won the war and all that sort of stuff. He was referring to who whose dignity was damaged the most and things like that. He's a very clever guy. And the, mm. so when I so I it was like I had a mandate of one, if you like, from John Chadwick. Which is kind of all I needed, yeah. Because I I did trust him and, uh, implicitly, and he wrote a fabulous essay for the catalogue that I produced for that big show, because I wanted to I wanted to make the argument my argument hundred percent categoric, 
So I had, a, I produced, I got funding from the Arts Council and a few friends to produce this catalogue, because, and then we, and I made three-dimensional works that sat in the middle of the floor, and and that there was, I don't know, eighty works in the show or something, because I wanted it to look like vaguely government endorsed, as if it was from Official, the yeah. Arts Council, you know, so people would take it on board as an as a fact, uh, which they did. Yeah, it became it was categoric and very hard to argue against. But you it, know, it, I, it's like kicking the stable door wide open, really. And, and yeah. it caused a lot of debate. Oh yeah, God, Jude and I fled for seven months to get away from it all. It was um, yeah, there was kind of a lot of meritometer called me a spiritual assassin, which yeah. was quite colourful. Um, spiritual assassin, but of course I didn't do anything. I didn't. It's not like I t put the ticky in a bucket and poured menstrual blood on it or something. It wasn't that kind of art that I was. That's not the point. I was. Well, no. it wasn't just being a stirrer. I had an actual. Funny when I look back on it. I mean, it's not very often in painting and in your life that you find yourself in the perfect position to employ an actual polemic. I mean, polemic issue, political issues, polemics yes. can often be uh, a phony prop for a shabby aesthetic. You know what I mean? Yeah. And once the once the polemic's gone, you just ended up you just end up with this piece of shit art. You know. Yeah. But I did. I was on. I was. The, I was right there with John. Johnny Chadwick in my, at my side and I, at the skills I had to do this and I just did it. Yeah. And and Grocer with a Moco? Well, that what? was part of the show. Oh, that was the same show? Yeah, right, fuck yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, it was that, that when what, I... What was the show it, called? Tiki. Tiki, Tiki. yeah. Uh, 92 it was. When I, had, when I had that idea for the... Because when I got on a roll, ideas started flooding in, you know, from all quarters... Bad, bad golf courses in Miami and you name it. I was mm. translating the whole history of art through this motif of the tiki. And I had the idea of the four-square man with the moco and I just I just knew it was a hot idea. It was such a hot idea. The, the idea of the, you know, the symbol of colonial impression, mm. the grocer, you know, stealing land against uh, the grocery bills uh, with a, the chin tattoo was just like, whoa, you know, there's a lot going, hell of a lot going on there, and I was trembling with excitement so much I could hardly paint it. I could hardly do the details of the yeah. I seriously was. I was just, and on the night of the opening, I was in the gallery and we were waiting for five thirty to open the doors. I mean, we all knew that it was quite, this was quite a big thing, and my knees. This were, was in Auckland. In Auckland, yeah, yeah, down at the Strand, and my I was standing with Jude just by. The, I had a big sign made with cut out polystyrene letters, you know, the usual thing I'm talking about. Yeah. Made it as commercial as possible, and unassailable, you know. And my knees were. I could hardly stand up. My knees were going, and I just. And then they opened the door, and in they came, you know. Woohoo! Yeah. Was, uh, uh, let yeah. let the touch paper. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Now, artists are supposed to be well, not a, a, a typically um, uh, introverted, starving in garrets, oh, yeah. and and you know you're yeah. a very uh, garrulous, yeah. uh, friendly, family family orientated yeah. uh, kind of a guy. Is that is that? Well, you, a lot of professional artists I know are. I mean, there are introverts and manic depressors and all sorts of artists. Is just there's one of everything out there, but that the idea of the 
genius in the garret and that is kind of just totally over, you know. If, if, you're, if you've got anything to say, if people pick up on it damn quick these days, you know. You'll, you, you could be a young graduate from Manukau with a little exhibition somewhere, but if it's, if it's, if it's got something there, you, you, it won't take long before it's noticed, picked up, and you'll, be, you'll travel through the system and rise to the top. And it doesn't, there's no unrecognised genius out there. It doesn't work like that anymore. So the, um, in, in terms of painting, you, you, so you've moved, your style has moved quite a lot, and you're now doing a lot of landscapes. landscapes you spent yeah. in central Otago. You were on a... On a, a, a residency. A residency, yeah, that's the yeah. word. Yeah. Uh, well, the, la- the landscapes, well, they're another funny story too because I had, this is pre-ticky, that's right, and I was doing that pop thing I was talking about, and I had... Yeah. Um, and that, that kept me going for about seven exhibitions, that kind of look. Um, then I had the Dancing Chicken tour from America and everything else. And then all of a sudden that, I re- this is the funny bit, what I thought were a, um, a sequence of ideas, you know, one show seeding the next show, yeah. oh, next time I'll do this, next time. I suddenly realised that it was actually just one idea in seven different iterations. And then the idea, the seventh show was the culmination of the of that one idea, and I didn't know that until nothing happened in my head, and I was thinking, oh God, because by then I I'd done this wonderful thing that I dreamed of, I had become an artist. Yeah, you know the dream had come true, and but then I was um, like nothing. I thought, wow, God Almighty, what am I going to do? I couldn't think of any. I had no nothing going on in my head at all, and. Um, but I'd illustrated that book, the the po- Dennis Glover's book about the magpies. So I'd been researching landscapes to get all the to make the book look legit, and uh, I suddenly had this brilliant idea. It was the best idea I've ever had in my life, and I thought, uh, well, instead of being a non-artist, which is look, look very much like I was heading for, yeah, because uh, you you are have, you do have to paint something, <laughs> you know what I mean, if you want to be a painter. I thought, well, I'll be instead of being a non-artist, I'll be a bad artist. I'll be like the your Peter McIntyre's and that that drive around New Zealand with a caravan and do these fruity paintings of the Kawarau Gorge and just like I'd been doing for this children's book, right, like the yeah. Magpie book. So I um, got some of the references from the Magpie book and I just painted a little painting like that without any magpies in it, just a tree and a road and and um, to practice being a bad artist. <laughs> it's quite deliberate and. Um, I thought, oh, there might be a bit of a career in this. I could show them in vineyards mm. and stuff, you know. And uh, and then the painting felt, just doing that silly little painting felt incredibly political, art political, because I'm painting it thinking, why why is this why why is this bad? Why am I calling it bad? Uh, what's what is why is painting something as sublime as the sun on the side of a hill or why is it um, Meant to be so banal and disparaged and uh, bankrupt as a currency, art currency, and all the rest of it. And so I started examining. You know, I had this little frisson there in the studio, little woo, and uh, so I did another one and another one, and and then of course they became, they took off. Yeah. But critically, they were panned. I was just shoved aside as a, as a total sellout. Frizzell is sold out. He's just painting landscapes for money, you know, and. Um, which didn't bother me. I mean, it was selling out meant 
money. Yeah. I'm enjoying that. <laughs> and I enjoy the painting and I enjoy the travelling and I enjoy the communication and everything else. I seem to be connecting with a lot of people. And they were, you know, no one had done this before for years, painted landscapes in any new way that made, made it look fresh and interesting. But meanwhile, the, the critical fraternity of just... Pat, uh, Francis Pound said Frizzella's uh, run away, he's run away from the postmodernist argument and he's hiding in the hills. And I was hiding in the hills quite literally. You remember yeah. your critics? Oh, I, you could, I remember them all. And uh, But then I got a bit sick of these big landscapes after a spell and I started, that's when the ticky thing bubbled up and I got all political and involved in that. And then I became critically... All the critics got curious again and they started coming around to the studio to ask me why I was doing this outrageous thing with it. Mm. So then to, for them to write articles, for, to write credible articles about me and the tiki, they had to back, they had to critically reassess the, my background because I couldn't appear from nowhere. So I'd been critically credible then, then I was doing the landscapes and I wasn't. And then I became credible again. So to make the story coherent, they had to somehow make the, retrospectively, make the landscapes look credible. So they invented all the stuff about the landscapes being um, sort of akin to commercial logos and and pop art. They were like pop art versions. I, I, they, I didn't have to say a thing. They wrote all the stuff themselves. Was, well, yeah, yeah. Inter, uh, critics' interpretation of... Yeah, well, of they the folded it into a coherent evolutionary argument from, the, from there to there seamless sort of story about the... It was, it was amazing. It's interesting that um, Stephen King, the um, mm. the uh, American writer, is is often given a short shrift by reviewers. Oh, yes, yes, and, yes, yes. Uh, and it's not seen as a serious writer. And yet his book on writing... Mm. Uh, which I can recommend is seen as the Bible almost amongst writers of how to write. Mm, mm, um, mm, fantastically mm, informative. Mm. And I, th one of the one of the, the greatest novelists in, in post-war Britain, I th I think is is John Le Carre, who uh, mm. it, it, again is is seen almost as selling out as writing um, uh, uh, cheap spy it, thrillers, but yeah, they're actually hugely complex and it's right. I know it's. I, I watch all that with great interest, you know, it, because I've. I know exactly what it is. I mean, they every now and again they get this grudging respect, you know what I mean? And they get yeah. written into the canon, and then they get slowly pulled out again, and then they're slowly put back in again, and they're slowly pulled out again. You know, it's just like it's like an old bluesman. You know, sometimes you, muddy waters is hot, and then he's not, and then he's dug up yeah. again, and then he's in again, and it's just just goes on and on. I mean, it's just. Weird, and, and you're still doing whatever you want to do through the middle of it, yeah, and exactly. views of you exactly cha changing exactly. all the time. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, well, as long as you're happy, Dick. Now I am going to um, go to Facebook, if you'll excuse me, and I'm going to run through these um, oh, these good. questions uh, that we have in order. Um, so I said um, to my Facebook friends, whoever they are. Um, Ex-admin Dick Frizzell has foolishly agreed to come for a podcast. Let me know if there's anything you'd like to ask him. Before applying, please bear in mind, number one, that he will probably read this post, which he did. <laughs> yeah. uh, and number two, that I don't like being punched. 
And the, the first response to that post was from somebody called Dick Frizzell who said, thank God you'd reminded me, so you <laughs> forgot about it um, already. So, first question from someone who you might be familiar with. Otis Frizzell wants to know what's his favourite colour. <laughs> that's a joke, among, that's a family joke. Okay. Because yeah, kids ask me that. that they, kids doing me at high school, they say, dear Mr Frizzell, I'm doing you at school. I love that, doing you at school. Right. And, and uh, what's your, you know, they send me a list of questions and one of them yeah. is always like, I always say warm grey. Warm grey, okay. Now we've got, we got an yeah. answer to that. David McGregor wants to know how. How? Yeah. Oh, God. Well, I, I, I think I we're, get an idea first. We've answered. Uh, 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 Max Stalker asked ask about the slug pellets. I think we covered that. Awesome. Um, Abe Dew who's a strategic planner in advertising, says, when you're creating art for your own gratification, you are in effect your own client. In what ways have you learned to cope with a lack of clarity and unreasonableness of your own demands? <laughs> well, I yes, I know. All my bullshit is mine, though. And I, uh, I, I tell you one thing I have learned, that sometimes a bad idea is the shortest route to a good one. I yeah. know that, yeah. You know, like, which means starting, right? Just yeah. do it. Just do something. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and a job worth doing is worth doing badly. That's the point. Right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That I think that, that again could be the slogan for the podcast. Yeah. Um, um, now, what, one of our listeners from the UK, um, who appears to be my sister, <laughs> <laughs> also wants to know how profitable is moonlighting as the big yin. Ah. Uh, <laughs> Which to, to to those less culturally aware, um, yeah. that, that's Billy Connolly, yeah. who uh, Dick is uh, vaguely, yeah, vaguely, yeah. He's uh, taller than me. It's to, yeah, and, and he's um, less understandable. Peter Lachlan wants to know what was I think what was the deciding factor in choosing the creative arts as a career when Wayne had did the whole story evolve? I think Peter, that's answered through the previous um, hour of the podcast. I think so. Yeah. Hopefully, George Shepherd, who is our furthest flung listener. George is from Scotland. Far out. Um, Andy Warhol famously said he preferred being an ad man to an artist because as an ad man, he always got a brief so he knew which direction to go in. Would Dick agree with this? Uh, well, I, I write my own brief, which is a, a, my way of doing it, yeah. It's very similar. I do, I do love being asked. I do, I do love people coming around and telling me what to do. I, I think that's fun. Do you? Yeah. Oh, you don't yeah. send them off with a flea in the air? No, no, I say, what do you want me to do? Tell me what... It's very hard to get them to tell you exactly what they want. Yeah. Because most people are a bit coy about opening up and they... You know, so if you... I said, you just have to give me more information. I just, what do you want? And I'll make it happen for you. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to express myself at your expense. This is different. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know my favourite saying? Fine art... My painting is for me and the commercial art is for everyone else. Right, that's a cracker, isn't it? Okay, because I mean, this is like as a you can paint if if you painted and no one saw the picture mm. apart from you and it hung in your bedroom, would you be quite happy with that, or or do you feel that in order to get a degree of satisfaction from it, you need other people to look at it too? Oh, I'd I'd paint two, oh, okay. uh, one one to put it. No, no, it's just silly. I just paint away. I mean, I do. 
um, I painted that little, I put it on Facebook the other day, I painted a nice little Picasso, still copied it, you know, yeah. recreated it yeah. to scale yeah. with the bits of sand and the corrections. And Jude came in and said, oh, I think you're going to have to give me that one for my birthday, you know, so there you go. Oh, okay. Keep, but that, mm. That's not bad. That's an advantage of uh, being married to Dick, I guess. <laughs> uh, and then I've got um, a question from Joshua Frizzell. Yeah. Who says, ask him about his awesome kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's all, I've already featured him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you've been on Joshua. And then um, somebody called Otis Frizzell who says, kid rather than kids. So I think. Kids. I, I, oh, my kids. I think, I think I did, that, there was a lovely ad I did with Otis in it when he was about three years old, chubby little three year old. And it was for, the, uh, this was when I was working for Bob, the, the client were the Bonco Bakeware. This. Bonko Bakeware. Yeah. Where did that go? Yeah. Uh, well, where did Bonko Bakeware yeah. go? Might, they might still be there. But they made cake tins and everything with this little logo on the bottom. And I I came up with it because we used to write our own headlines and everything and copy and everything back in those days with Bob. If you had an idea, you did the whole thing, you know. Yeah. And I came up with this idea, more than great cakes have been raised on Bonko Bakeware and there was a photo of Otis on the floor by the under the kitchen sink He'd opened the cupboard and he pulled all the bakeware out and was playing with it. Yeah. He was sitting there playing with a sifter, flour sifter, yeah. with all this bonko bakeware on the floor around him. And he's sitting in these little blue overalls with these little pink feet sticking out. And the, the, the whole ad was this photo of Otis in the kitchen on the floor with the headline reversed out of the dark area above the sink. It was. A, I wish I could have found it. Well, yeah. um, did you yeah. have the Did you have the uh, punctuation right around the comma with uh, the spaces? But probably not. Um, which I have. That would have been honestly. That would have been uh, either Warwick Brock or one of the guys whose uh, copy lay, whose copy layout. So I totally adored. And they uh, that would have been, the idea of no space there would have caught, it would have looked too academic or silly. So we just okay, you know, dispense uh, with it. Um, my my phrase always was, was it that, that, that you see, he's an old agency. Um, if it's right, it's not wrong. <laughs> Which uh, and I want to know who named uh, uh, um, in, a, in the the um, brainstorm sitting around going, we've got some sausages. What should we call them? I know, peach. <laughs> <laughs> what on earth is a peach sausage? It was just the name of the company. Peach. It was Mr. Peach. Yeah, well, well, he invented a sausage. Well, I'm sorry, Mr. Peach. I'm sorry that your sausages have gone down the drain. Fruit sausages. Uh, one last question. We never Dick. thought of it. Uh, you said you. So, uh, were you working in teams in those days, or was it just there would be? Yeah, Grant and I would work together a lot. You know, so we'd rack each other up. You know, he'd take my idea and add another layer, and I'd take that and add another yeah. layer. Um, or subtract, so, you know, eh? or subtract a layer, depending. Yeah, on, you know. well, it's and then you'd, but we never, we never had the traditional uh, uh, visualizer art, uh, writer. Yeah. So we did, we did have copywriters, but they kind of tended to sort of beaver away on their own, and they'd come in with an idea. I mean, anyone could have an idea. The, I mean, the receptionist could have an idea as, as far as Bob was concerned. Yeah. If they called out, what about Barbara from the desk would call it, what about if it was like 13 instead of 28 or something like that? And we go, oh, that's a good idea. So it was, it Did was Bob himself ever have any ideas? Oh, totally. Are you kidding? Yeah. Did he ever have any good ideas? He, he, yeah, he yeah. sure did. He, he, 
used to do these trips overseas and he'd come back with how we were going to sell Norm Kirk or something like that. He, would have, yeah. he'd have, he said, we've got, to make, we've got to get Norm's hair more sort of uh, fluffy or something. And uh, all once Bob he, um, invited us out to his house at um, Titarangi way there to see this thing that he bought back from overseas, this thing. And so we all had we had dinner and a few drinks, and we all sat on the floor, and he had this projector. With, in the old days, it was film, mm. you know, and he projected this thing that we all had to look at, and it was Sesame Street, full colour on the yeah. screen in his living room. And Bob said, "This, this is the future. This is how we, everything. We, I want everything to look like that, fresh and brand new, and the animation was all wobbly and it wasn't all smooth like Disney and everything, you know." And it was, I remember being absolutely entranced. It was like, it just totally looked like the future. But you Sesame know, Street. It was like what, seeing Avatar or something. When I was a kid, was puppets. So this was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this was, and it, this was sail animation? Well, there, no, no, no. There were live action. There were p- people walking around talking to puppets sticking up out of rubbish tins and that. Right, remember? okay. Sesame yeah. Street, yeah. yeah. And Big Bird would walk in and. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then there'd then be a short animated sequence with uh, Count Dracula and the, you know, the vampire that. Counted numbers and stuff, and that was, and so the, immediately we saw that we we're all every we started doing Sesame Street animation and because yeah, in those yeah. days you could do it because the internet wasn't there. No, whereas no, now no. Uh, yeah. um, it, it it's very exactly. difficult. It's so difficult to plagiarize anymore. Yeah. Because, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you don't know what's coming first, do you? You know, it's just you just do it. I mean, I, I mean, I survive by just responding entirely to my own enthusiasms now. You know. I don't have to sort of see anything to turn me on. Well, you know, I was thinking, in the though paper, it helps. In the paper today, uh, I think it was in the paper, the online edition of The Guardian, I think, a Portuguese McDonald's brought out um, a new Sunday. Yeah. And the advertising for the Sunday was, because it was the time with Halloween, Sunday, bloody Sunday. Oh, yes. Um, yes. Which in uh, in years gone past, no, no one would have thought a thing about because the yeah. Portuguese would go and uh, whatever. Yeah. And um, now, of course, because of the internet, there's a shitstorm going down on McDonald's in Portugal because they're, yeah. they're, they're too soon. using too soon. the yeah. yeah far out. Oh well, that no. Well, I can relate to that. I mean, that's. That's a bit Portuguese, isn't it, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and on that note... <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> uh, th- thank you so much for coming, Dick. It's been, it's been oh, great uh, I loved talking it. about uh, yeah. advertising, art and, yeah. and beyond. So, oh, it's been... Uh, it's, it's been a, a, it's a... Not has been. It's, a, it's an exciting life. Yeah. yeah. Well, I look forward to yeah. seeing the next chapter. Cheers, Dick. Every art student should do a year in advertising after the minute they graduate... Yeah, I th- I think that teach him a thing or two. It's uh, you know being halfway through, halfway through writing a book. Yeah, you know, I started to do this in, you know, when I was about twenty seven, twenty eight. Oh uh, yeah, the Bahamas, okay. And it would have been absolute shit. Yeah. But, but thirty thirty years of advertising in yeah. the middle has has given me something to write about. And as well, it's an incredible. Area of human endeavour, isn't it? The, the selling and the communicating. I mean, the communicating of ideas, which is entirely what it's about. You know, the quite apart from literature and philosophy and the rest of yeah. it, everything, all that is in there. Yes, in the in the advertising business. And if you don't know that, you're not of no use to anybody. Well, you think that there's the it's it's a mixture of 
psychology of mm. art and writing and propaganda and that's right manipulation yeah. yet without it uh, commerce struggles yeah completely yeah well it's the it's the gossip of communication and everything no i, I it taught me so much i about the the very practical and pragmatic approach to creativity that's what you know yes. art the art thing, the, the, the notion of creativity was such an airy fairy kind of construct that no one really knew how to define. And when I got into advertising, all of a sudden creativity became a thing you had to you had to lasso it and bloody, yeah. you know what I mean? You had to see, you had to find it. Yeah, it wasn't something out there. No, the 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 the, ne- the book that's already going around in my head at the moment is this thing about creativity, and I'm calling it. It's the starting that stops most people. Because that's the you know as a writer you know exactly what that blank is. Page. If you sit there at the blank page waiting for the first sentence to appear, you could sit there for weeks. But if you just write anything, yes. like a bad idea, yeah, you're writing. You know what yeah, I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. It's it's getting over the friction. There's the, there's the friction of yeah. a block. And once you get exactly. over that, yeah. The, Somebody wrong. told me I th- I might have been Witty Aramia or someone like that who said he was talking about writing. And his little story was, if you take like the sun, now that's a fact, the sun is a fact, mm. then you take a, like a window and that's a fact, but if you put the sun in the window, it's a story because where's the window? Is it the evening sun or the morning sun? You know what I mean? And, yeah. and then you start saying, if you start describing where the window is, if it's a bedroom, is there anyone in the bed? And, who, and you know what I mean? And, and all of a sudden you're writing. It's fantastic, and, and, you know. and I, 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 the fascinating bit I find is when you don't know where it's going. Oh, absolutely! How, how yeah. you're writing this stuff, and yeah. and you're going, where did that come from? <laughs> exactly, you know, I know. Synapses I know. are yeah. I, it happens all the time in the in the writing. It's things you didn't know you knew start appearing on the page, and you think, "Ooh, well, that's fantastic." That what was his name? Ben Elton. He used to describe. Yeah. He described it once. I remember all these little things mm. uh, because I, so I struggled so much with them. And when I had a like an intuitive moment, like somebody asked Ben Elton, you know those big rants he used to do, those endless comedic rants, yeah. stand up, stand up yeah. rants. Yeah. And somebody said to him, "Do you write all that?" And he said, "Well, I do." He said, "I write. I I just write and write and write and write, and then I and I practice and practice and practice." Then I get on stage, and in the middle of it, a whole new thing will just come down from God and just appear in my head because he's ready. Yeah. He's written yeah. He's written the giant mattress that's ready to catch the idea, the thing that just appears from nowhere. And isn't that beautiful? It's like a basket you've written, you know? Well, it, and, uh, yes, you know? the, the, the yeah. preparation. If, yeah. You, yeah. if you know how to do something well, you can... You can improvise yeah. past it, but improvising without having the basket, without having the doesn't foundation, work. doesn't. I call it another sad day at summer school. Another sad day at summer school. Yeah, thinking you can be creative without the preparation. You know? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. All those. People. I I used to in those art schools at Tuscany that you and I used to do. I wrote this sign that we pinned. I blue taped to the wall of the loggia behind my head. I. D- Cotton, I figured this out quite quickly. And the sign says, you're not allowed to be creative. 
Yeah. And then they yeah. sit, and they're all sitting in front of me waiting to be creative, you know. And I'd say, well, and they'd say, what do you mean by that? And I said, well, if I let you guys go on your own to be creative, you're just going to make it, fuck it up. I know, I've seen it every time. You have to listen to me and you have to do all this dumb shit that I'm going to tell you. And then with any luck, you might get creative. You've been listening to Truth and Soul, the New Zealand Advertising Podcast. Okay, list of credits. Thank you very much um, to this week's guest, whoever he, she, or it might be. Uh, If you liked it, uh, drop us a line, uh, paul at truthandsoul.co.nz. Thank you very much to everyone at Franklin Road, uh, Jonathan Cole, uh, The Wastrel Shane, Vanessa and Gracie. Uh, Otis who did the logo and uh, Matt Stalker who's going to play us out thank you